Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Uh, you know where we're going to be if you've been following along. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How many of you guys read ahead this week? Anybody read ahead? Several of you guys. Good, good. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 will be there uh, all morning. So um, what Pastor Aaron just talked about is going to tie right into where we're going today. I don't know about you guys, but I love to eat. Does anybody else love to eat? I mean, I love to eat. One of my favorite sounds growing up, how many of you guys remember those, or, or you've seen those, like those triangles, like for ranches and cowboys and stuff, and they use those, they'll, they'll ring the triangle things. Uh, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay. Have you ever watched a movie? Uh, okay. Anybody know what a cowboy is? My mom bought one of those at some, I don't know, we were on vacation or something, and she would hang that thing up. And when I was a kid, there would be times when we'd be out playing, and she would ring that bell, and we knew what that meant. So wherever we were at, and we lived in a small town, so you could hear it from some distance away, we'd come riding our bikes home, we'd come running home, because we knew it was dinner time. And I loved to eat, and I grew up with four brothers, so we always had to kind of, we had to fight for food, and you got, I mean, you had to work to get your food if there was any extras, you're like, okay, I'm calling seconds, first, first, third, and you, you're fighting over the food. I love to eat. Uh, what, that's one of my favorite times is dinner time. But one of my favorite things about dinner time is not just food. It was the things that would happen around the table as we were kids. How, how many of you guys have ever just have some fond memories of sitting around the table, maybe when you're a kid, and just, just some of the conversations or the food fights, like in our family, we would have food fights and when our kids were really little. And just, I mean, my, my two-year-old son, when he was two, I just remember one day picking up a big old glob of macaroni and cheese and flung it across the room at him and slapped it right on his bare belly. It was awesome, it was awesome. And to my surprise, I don't know why I was surprised, he picked some up and he started to throw it right back at me. So that, there was macaroni and cheese everywhere and it was awesome. But that's one of my favorite memories. But there's special moments, kids don't get any ideas. There's special moments that happen at a table. There's powerful things that happen around a table. In fact, if you probably look back over your life, you could recount several significant things that happened as you were gathered around a table. When... My wife and I got engaged. We gathered up all of my side of the family. We went, we, we lived in Cameron, Missouri at the time, or my parents did. And so we gathered up all of my brothers and sisters and, and uh, brothers and sisters-in-law, future sister-in-law. Uh, and we gathered in the nicest restaurant uh, in Cameron, Missouri, which isn't saying a lot, but it was the nicest one they had to offer. And so we gathered around the table together and we announced that we were engaged and that we were going to be married because that was the, it seemed like the appropriate place to have a special moment like that. Several times when uh, we have five kids, so several times when we would announce that we were having another child, it would be gathered around a big family meal. And so that so much so there's so many people, brothers of mine that were having kids, there's 19 grandchildren. And so there's so many of us that anytime we would gather for a meal, we're kind of looking around and saying, who, who is it? You know, who's going to announce something? Because those were the times when we announced things like that, because special moments, powerful moments happen around a table. I remember when uh, Christmas time would roll around and I'd go over to my grandma's house 
And I remember just having the big family, all of my cousins there, and my grandma, I don't know if this was true or not, but my grandma would always fry, do fried apples. How many of you guys love fried apples? I mean, have you guys have ever had fried apples? If you haven't had fried apples, you need to have fried apples. And so my grandma would make fried apples, and, and I loved them. She made them one year, and I just loved them so much. And then the next year rolled around, and she made them again. And, and I asked her, I said, well, you're making fried apples again. And she said, yeah, I know, because you liked them so much last year. I'm going to make them just for you again. And I remember feeling so special at that moment. And my cousins and I, we would sit around my grandparents' table spending the night so many times. We had so many memories, so many conversations as we would look out on her backyard and see squirrels come up on the porch. I just remember so many significant moments happening around the table. In fact, my my grandfather, he had Alzheimer's and he... uh, I, one of my last, in fact, the last moment that I remember with my grandfather was at that table. And he was kind of coming in and out and not making sense, but it was a significant moment. I remember that moment. It was around the table. And so all of us, I think we can recount different times in our life of significance around a table. Jesus' ministry actually centered around a table more often than we understand it did. How many times did he go and eat with somebody? How many times did did he go and, and spend time in somebody's house or share a meal or make a meal or multiply a meal? It's his ministry centered around a table. And that leads us right up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we find this famous meal centered around a table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you do, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What he's talking about here is something we call here in our church communion. Now you may have grown up and called it something different. It may have been called the Lord's table uh, in a more traditional environment or some other environment might've been called the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. However it is, most of you guys are familiar with what is happening here in this moment. Uh, But there's a lot of confusion sometimes about why we do this. Is this just something we do because we're supposed to do it? What happens when we're doing this? Uh, When I was a, a kid... I can't remember how old, but we, we went to a church one time. It was a small church. My parents traveled around, and they would preach and sing and do all this stuff. And, and we were there traveling around with them. I, I went to this church one time, and it was a very small church. We sat at the back. I think we were singing or playing or doing something at it. And it came time for communion. And they, the way they did communion is they brought everybody up to the front. This was a very small church. Everybody stood around in a circle. And I'm just a kid. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here. And then they start passing around a big old loaf of bread. And everybody's taking a piece of bread and eating the bread. And it goes around. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's just one big cup. And they start passing around the cup. And everybody's drinking out of the cup. And at this time, I've got like dry bread in my mouth. And I'm just a kid, and I'm thinking, you know what? This is like really, really gross, but I'm really thirsty right now. I'm about to choke on this. I'm about to choke on Jesus' body right now. And, and I just need something to drink. So it came around to me, and, you know, I didn't care at that point. It was just like I'm all in. And so I just took a big old drink and passed it on. And then I realized that wasn't grape juice. How is this even legal, you know? 
And, and I went and sat down and had a big old headache for the rest of the day. And, and uh, that was one of my memories of communion. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of confusion about communion. Well, how, how did this whole thing start? Well, we find Jesus, what, this, what Paul's talking about here, is Jesus is, is coming to the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be raised from the dead. But before that, he has this moment, and it's a holiday of sorts. It's called the Passover, and he's celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, this Passover meal had been celebrated ever since the exodus out of Egypt, where it was, it was a meal that was pointing back towards what God had done by leading them out. And they had several cups. They went four cups that would represent all of what God had done by leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. So it was, it was a celebration looking back, but it was also a celebration looking forward. Because as a part of this meal, they would, they would have a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb that would be sacrificed. And so they would not only look back on what happened and the salvation that, that had happened, but they looked forward to the day when the perfect spotless lamb, the Messiah, would come. Now, this had been celebrated for thousands of years, and Jesus sits down and pulls up a seat at the table with his disciples, and at this meal, he says, guys, this whole thing is about me. What you've done and your ancestors have done for thousands of years, it's all about this one moment right here. Now, in that moment, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, that's the time where you're all in or you check out, isn't it? It'd be like, you know, the closest thing we can come up with is Thanksgiving. How many you guys love Thanksgiving, man? We got pumpkin pie. We got the parade. We've got, you know, turkey. We got the story of the pilgrims and the end. We got all this stuff that we grow up making crafts and all this stuff. I remember doing all that stuff. What if one day you're sitting at your family gathering for Thanksgiving and one of your crazy uncles steps up and says, you know what, guys, this whole thing, all Thanksgiving, since it's ever been started to be celebrated, has been all about me. Wouldn't you kind of write that? That's the time to either find a home for him or to not come back. That's what Jesus did because that's what the truth was. The whole thing was about Jesus. And so he turned the Passover that was about leading up to him. It was about the Exodus leading up to him. He says, from now on, when you do this, remember me and know that it's all about me. And so today when we receive communion, it's not the same way that it was done back then. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But what we're doing is we're remembering ever, that goes all the way back to the Exodus and goes all the way to the cross and then comes all the way to our present day. And it also looks all the way into eternity. And we remember Jesus. That's what we're doing. So that's what this communion thing is all about. It's a sharing of the, the life and, and the life of Christ. But what Paul says right here is he says, as often as you do this, remember me. I talked about my grandparents' table. I remember so many times, and it set off the kitchen. It was kind of in the back area. It was more of a breakfast table. But I remember my parents had another table, and it was kind of in the, it was in the dining room, and it was a very fancy table. It was a I mean, and it was big. It was, it was real wood. I mean, it was, it, had, it was covered all the time. It was, it was never, ever used. And I remember growing up the whole time, I cannot recall one time when that table was ever used for anything. It didn't matter if it was a special event or not. That table sat there and was never used. 
I don't know why that was. It was so nice. They didn't want any of us touching it, I guess. And we always were, you know, don't get close to that table. So I don't know the story behind it, but it's almost like they forgot what the table was for. And since they forgot what the table was for, there was no benefit for the table except to look at it. I believe what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is that you've forgotten what the table of the Lord is for. And since you've forgotten what it's for, there's no benefit except for just to look at it. And so here's the thing about when we forget something. The truth is when we forget something, we forfeit something. If you forget a memory that you have, you forfeited some of the joy that you have when you recount that or some of the pain even that you, you forfeit something. Something is lost. You, for, you forfeit the joy that comes when you forget something, when you have a, a moment or if you forget something. I, I heard a, about this guy recently who he'd been planning this trip overseas for a long, long time. He had some buddies that were going to go with him. And he, I mean, they did an enormous amount of planning an enormous amount of prep, enormous amount of money spent in time. They get traveled across the state to meet up with, with his friends. And he, he goes to the airport in line, getting all the bags checked and all that stuff, getting ready to get on the airplane and then realizes that he forgot his passport. Then realized that he forgot his passport in another state. There was no time to go back and get it. There was no, so they went to look, they couldn't find it. They, it was, it was nowhere to be found. And as a result of that, he had to forfeit this trip overseas that had been planning and all the, the fun that was supposed to happen was forfeited. And, and when we, for, when we forget something, we forfeit something. So what Paul is telling them here is he's saying, listen, guys, you've forgotten the table of the Lord and what it means to be one body, one bread, and one cup. And as a result of forgetting that, you're forfeiting something. And what he's talking about them, that they're forfeiting is right relationships and really unity with one another and sharing of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So Let's go all the way back to the first part of the chapter here. I'm not going to have time to deal with every issue. If you read ahead, you know there are a lot of, a lot of things going on here in this chapter. I will try to touch briefly on as much as we can. Uh, all the way back to the, fir- to the first part of the chapter in verse 1, we see that there are really two problems that Paul identifies in this first section and then also in the next section. So let's look at this one by one. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Most scholars believe that that actually belongs to chapter 10 and the thought there as well. But it's still a good thought to throw in here. Uh, number two, verse two. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she, will, should not, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or to shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Is anybody getting kind of confused already? Like, what's going on here? Okay. Uh, ne- neither was man created for I mean, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. 
Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Wow. What's he talking about right here? Well, there's several things. Again, I don't have time to preach this whole sermon. But I do want to bring a a few things out of this because this is kind of a confusing passage here. I want us to understand when we come upon passages like this, we have to understand that Paul was dealing with some specific things in the culture, just like we've dealt with specific things other, in other places of the scripture that Paul was dealing with, specific things happening in that church, specific things happening in that city, specific things happening at that time and in that culture. And so Paul had to address some specifics that we don't have to address in our culture today. So when he's talking about wearing a head covering or not a head covering, that's not a specific that we address here today. If Paul were standing here today, he w- I don't believe he'd be saying that, ladies, you need to have something on your head and guys, you know, cut your hair. I mean, he's not going to be saying those things. Uh, but basically, there were some specifics to culture because what they were wearing or not wearing, it meant something. It meant something. So it'd be kind of like if you, had, if you were invited to a black tie affair and you showed up with old ratty jeans on, that, there'd be a problem with that, wouldn't it? Because like somehow you're not dressed, you're not communicating by what you're dressed like for what you're saying you're participating in. Similarly, if you go to a barbecue, you're probably not going to wear a tuxedo because it's going to get all messy. So it just did not match. Well, what's happening with what he's talking about here is that in their culture, what they were wearing on their heads or not wearing on their heads meant something. In fact, scholars, some scholars, a lot of scholars believe that in the, the city of Corinth, actually what was going on is that the only ladies who didn't have a covering on their head or had their hair let down were prostitutes. And so some people were coming into the church being so free in Christ not thinking about how they were presenting themselves to other people. And so Paul brings some correction and saying, listen, what needs to be most important here is what you are communicating by your actions right now. And what you're communicating by your actions is that you don't care about any authority. Ultimately, you don't even care about God's authority. And so it was very important. Now, again, Paul wouldn't say that to us today because we have different issues. Now, what he was really doing is he was revealing their hearts. Let me say something that's really going to help you out with some troubling scriptures like this. Some of you guys get confused about certain scriptures. Why is that in the Bible? Listen, we have to be careful not to read the whole Bible in light of a few verses, but rather read a few verses in light of the whole Bible. Okay, so what people tend to do is to pick a scripture that gets confusing and then try to then lay that upon the whole rest of the Bible when there's only a few spots that like, well, now everybody needs to wear hat. All the ladies need to have coverings on their head. No, that's not what the scripture is saying at all. We have to read it in light of the whole scriptures. So here's the real problem that he's addressing. The first problem that we need to deal with as well is the overarching problem of pride. Pride. These people were unwilling to look up and to honor one another. That's what Paul was ultimately dealing with at the heart of it. Listen, pride is the ultimate enemy of unity. They were forfeiting unity with one another, ultimately because of pride. Pride is the ultimate enemy in, against unity in a marriage, 
against unity in a church, against unity in friendships, against unity in a family. Unity is not everybody being the same way or doing the same things, by the way. Unity is when people lay aside preferences for a higher purpose. And when we start getting cornered in our preferences, then we lose, we forfeit the bigger purpose. Now, Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor out of Oklahoma City. He was talking about leadership teams and church leadership teams. And he says, a sign of, a, of health among leadership teams is when leadership teams feel comfortable enough to do practical jokes on one another and to laugh with one another. Now, we've had some of our share of that here at church. I'm not going to go into all of that. Um, But I will tell you that last Monday night, we were having a great time in our ministry leaders meeting, so much so that we almost derailed the meeting where I was laughing so hard. I couldn't continue. I was such an ineffective leader that I was laughing so hard. I could not continue the meeting for an extended period of time, for an embarrassingly, embarrassingly extended period of time. But you know what? That's ultimately a sign of health. It's old. How many guys are, are happy that your leaders laugh together, right? How many, how many guys, when you, if you have parents, kids, how many of you are happy that your parents laugh together? Why? It's a sign of health. It's a sign that you can set aside whatever the issues are and just enjoy one another. If God's plan is unity, Satan's plan is division. Let's say that again. If God's plan is unity, Satan's plan is division. And I love this quote by Jimmy Evans. He said that Satan will use the weakest emotional link highest up in the chain to destroy the work of God in you. He'll do that in a church. He'll do that in a family. He'll do that in a marriage. He'll do that within us. He'll try to find the weakest emotional issue in us to try to cut that chain off. Because you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So Satan is on the lookout for wherever he can divide, wherever he can create disunity. And too much familiarity within this group, this small church, created a pride and, and a disunity with them. Now, I've said this before, but a lot of times in life, whenever we have transitions, whether if we leave a church or transition to a new church or you leave a job and transition to a new job, move out of state, Whatever transitions happen, how many of you guys have ever felt the pain of a transition where you thought you were friends with people? Like, why are we still not friends? Like, whenever we'd show up to work day in and day out, we were friends. We talked. We shared life. And then just because I changed jobs, now we're not friends anymore. And it's because we have, uh, as Andy Stanley talks about it, he says, most of what we call friendship in life, simply because we're not intentional about it, is not a case that we had deep friendships and they got severed. It's more of a case of intersecting schedules. And it just so happens that your schedule regularly intersects with the same people at the same job. And so when your schedule doesn't intersect anymore, since there was no real depth of relationship, that it, there's, there's nothing there. So whenever you change church, there's no real depth of relationship because it was all at this one level because we're so guarded and we won't let, because of pride, because we, we, we don't want to ever get deeper than that. I think there's power in that. So what are your weak links in your life? What, what are your, maybe it's familiarity, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's fear, maybe it's all of those things, but all of those things do drive us away from one bread, one cup, one body mentality. They drive us away from unity. Whenever we forget something, we forfeit something. They drive us away from unity. Here's what I want us to get, guys. As the body of Christ, we have a shared identity. We belong to each other because we belong to Jesus. 
We have a shared identity that cannot be disconnected from one another. We cannot be disconnected. It, it goes beyond country borders. It goes beyond gender. No male or female. It goes beyond uh, race. Have you guys watched the news yesterday? You saw all that stuff happening at, at Char- whatever, Charlestonville or whatever it was, Virginia. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. If you haven't seen the news, you got to jump on there and see what's going on. There was a, a bunch of white supremacists. They were having a rally. It turned violent. I mean, there was just racial tension. And as a church, we've got to be people who stand up and call it out, call evil out when it's, when it's there. We've got to stand as one body. Because here's the thing. In Christ, there is no race. There is no, that, that's not how God looks at us. He looks at us as his kids. He looks at us as his kids and we, and Satan will get in. And if God's plan is unity in the body, Satan's plan will be to divide however he can. If he can divide it on social issues, if he can divide it on racial issues, if he can divide it on petty issues, he will look to divide however he can. But we have a shared identity. It's bigger than any of these things. And we've got to get back to the heart of God. That's what Paul's imploring here. We've got to get back to the heart of God that if we choose relationships with one another simply based on what they can offer us, or we reject relationships based on what they lack for us, then we've missed the heart of God. We've missed the heart of God. Because we are in this together because we belong to Jesus. Do you guys believe that this morning or is that too hard of a word? You see, Satan loves to drive a wedge, doesn't he? You think about marriage. I think about people who say, you know what? When I, we were first married, we were just, we fell in love. How many of you guys fell in love when you were married? I mean, you just, you just, oh, I fell in love. And then all of a sudden you hear people after a while say, I fell out of love. <laughs> so now I don't want to be married because I fell out of love. I was, I was just uh, running and God just drops weird. You're going to hear some of the weird things God drops in me as I'm running, but a little bit later on, but I was just running and God just uh, dropped this thought in me. He said, said this, instead of falling in love, we need to let love fall into us. Because so many times we're just, we're just waiting. Oh, I'm not feeling. No, we need to let love fall into us for one another. In our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in our church relationships. So the first issue was pride. Here's the second issue. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. So here he begins to describe what's actually happening at the communion times that they're having. So listen, get a picture of what's going on in this church. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. So what he's saying is when you guys gather as a church, it's worse than if you would just stay apart (laughs) because when you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's supper that you eat. They were they were saying they were, but, but they really weren't eating the Lord's Supper. Why? He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So what was happening here is there was some rich people. In, in, in those days... They didn't have church buildings per se. 
Usually what would happen is somebody who was wealthy would have a big enough place where they could get a few people together and gather together. Well, the church in Corinth was somewhere between like 35 and 60 people. So if you had a larger house with maybe a courtyard, they could gather together. And it was hosted by the rich person. And as a part of this, it was part of their culture was a certain type of meal that was uh, called the Aranos meal. And the Aranos meal was more, it was part of their culture. It was more kind of just like a get together. It was a party. It was hosted by rich people. And as a part of that, they would invite other people, but the rich person would take care and provide the meal for the, for the poorer people. And they would have a great time. And a lot of times they would end up, uh, it would turn, get out of hand and they would start partying a little bit too much. And, and that would be the evening. Well, That was not the Lord's Supper, yet that's what they were starting to do. They had turned the Lord's Supper into that kind of meal. Now, forgetting things in their uh, relationships or in their forgetting the meal, really what happened is it produced one, number one, pride. That was the first thing. You know what the second thing was? Pride. It produced pride in a different way. You see, the first one was pride in in the way of saying, you know what, no one can be over me. The second pride that it produced is, you know what? Look how far down those people are below me. So that what was happening is that the rich people would come together. Since the poor people couldn't control their schedules, they had to go work a day job. The rich people could gather whenever they wanted and they would get started early. By the time the poor people got there, there was no food left. And the rich people had been there so long partying, they were drunk. It was totally not the Lord's Supper. And it wasn't loving at all. And that's exactly what Paul is, is railing against here. And, and in some cases, they say that they would have two different rooms. One room was for the more affluent people, and another room was for the poorer people. How many of you guys, when you go to Thanksgiving, you go to a family meal, you remember the kiddie table? How many of you guys remember the kiddie table? Wasn't that, wasn't that horrible when you were like not a kid anymore, but you still had to sit at the kiddie table? That was like horrible, right? And that's basically what's happening in this church. There are people, they're not divided by age. They're divided by how much money they have. And Paul says, you realize how evil this is that you would try to divide the body of Christ based on what you value in them, which is their money, instead of what God values in them. He said, that is not the heart of God. The heart of God, in fact, when we receive communion, That's not at all like what they would have back in Jesus' day and and for many centuries, actually. They would come together as a meal. It was called the agape feast. It was because they would come and they would bring, everybody would contribute and everyone would share with one another. It was a great picture. And then at some point in there, they would honor the Lord through the the communion or the Lord's Supper. And they would take the cup and they would take the bread. And it would be a very significant thing to celebrate Jesus. But that's not what was happening. They were looking down. On others. Let me ask you a question. Who are you looking down on in the body of Christ right now? You say, oh, well, no, seriously. Because every single person here struggles with this issue. Well, they're not reading their Bible as much as I am, or they're not doing as much for God as I am, or they're not as far along as I am, or they said that word that I didn't. They, every single person here. Who are we looking down at? Well, they, don't, they have not been following Jesus the way I have, or as long as I have, or they're traditional, and they're... Who are you looking down on in the body of Christ? Pride is the ultimate enemy of unity. Let me say a powerful statement right now. How you see others is the current measure of how connected you are to Jesus. How you're viewing other people right now, I promise you, 
is the current measure of how connected. I, didn't, I don't mean that, that you're disconnected from Jesus or Jesus loves you any less. What I'm saying is how in tune you are with Jesus. Let me skip over to one verse that's not in 1 Corinthians. 1 John 4.20 says it very plainly. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. If he does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God for whom he has not seen. Listen, the, the point is this. How are you looking at how you view people right now is the current level of connection you actually have with God. You can fake yourself out all day long. You can compartmentalize all day long. But it's not, it's not dealing accurately with the heart issues that we have. Is there anybody here that wants to go beyond just fake Christianity and go beyond just going through the motions? That wants to grow a little bit? These are the type of issues that we have to deal with if we are going to grow. And I promise you, how you see others is the current measure of how connected you are to Jesus. But the, the, a lot of times we end up just wanting to connect with certain people because we don't want to connect with the other people. And that's exactly what was happening in their day. The, all the rich people got together and left all the poor people to get together. And there was no heart of God in it at all. A friend of mine posted a, a new survey about coffee. How many of you guys love coffee? Anybody coffee drinkers? Posted a new, new survey about coffee. And it said this, that uh, for people who drank two to three cups a day, how many of you guys are there already? You've already done two to three cups. All right, good. Uh, two to three cups a day. If you haven't, we've got some more on the way out. If you need to get your cups in, two to three cups a day, that group saw an 18% reduced risk of death. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> right? Now, to which I replied to him, here, here was my reply. I always figure out how I want to eat, live, and work out, and then find a study to match it. Because <laughs> it works out better that way. How many of you guys have ever noticed that? That there's a study that's contradicting every other study? So, you might, so here's what my natural inclination is. Well, I'm just going to find a study that matches the way I want to live my life. So he comes back and he says this. He says, uh, if you have one about the positive effects of eating chocolate cake for breakfast, send it to me. To which a minute later or two, I replied to him because I found one. And it, there's a study out of Syracuse University, 968 participants, I'm telling you, that ate chocolate cake before 9 o'clock in the morning and it had positive results. They lost weight even, according to their study. According to their findings, when eaten regularly, chocolate can have a positive effect on cognitive performance and can improve your memory and abstract thinking. So there you go. You have permission now. Drink all the coffee and cake you want. No, I mean, it's great. You're going to live a long, long time. If you don't like lifting weights, find a study that says that's not good for you. <laughs> it's, it's what you do. Well, that, that's, that's funny, right? But here, here's the way it works for a lot of us. Many times we choose people that we want to hang out with based on how we want to live our life. So we decide how we want to live our life, and then we find people to match. That's what was happening in Corinth. So we find uh, certain people because we don't want to hear the other side. We find certain people because uh, we don't like what they're going to have to say. We find certain people because we don't want to be confronted with our sins. We find certain people because we don't want to feel something for them after we've written them off. Am I preaching truth this morning? I just wanted to know. I just don't know. 
We've all been there, okay? There's, no, there's, no, there's nobody here who's righteous, no, not one in this area, because we've all done this before. How many of you guys have heard the term fake news recently? Anybody? Fake news? Lots of fake news out there, right? Well, Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook founder, I don't even know if that's how you say his name, but he, he addressed fake news on Facebook a while back, a while back. And so I'm going to let Mark preach to us this morning. Okay, so I'm going to read his post. It's fairly lengthy, but I'm going to read his post addressing the fake news problem. And I want you to know that in this, he probably doesn't even understand all that he's saying in here about truth and different things. But in this, we're going to find something very powerful as we look at it at the end. So I'm going to read it. He says this, I want to share some thoughts on Facebook and the election. Our goal is to give every person a voice. We believe deeply in people, assuming that people understand what is important to their lives and that they can express those views has driven not only our community, but democracy overall. Sometimes when people use their voice, though, they say things that seem wrong and they support people you disagree with. After the election, many people are are asking whether, so I'm talking about religion and politics today. Isn't that great? That's wise of me. Um, So after the election, Many people are asking whether fake news contributed to the result and what our responsibility is to prevent fake news from spreading. These are very important questions and I care deeply about getting them right. I want to do my best to explain what we know here. Of all the content, listen to this, of all the content on Facebook, more than 99% of what people see is authentic. Only a very small amount is fake news and hoaxes. The hoaxes that do exist are not limited to one partisan view or even to politics. Overall, this makes it extremely unlikely hoaxes change the outcome of this election in one direction or the other. That said, we don't want any hoaxes on Facebook. Our goal is to show people the content they will find most meaningful and people want accurate news. We have already launched work enabling our community to flag hoaxes and fake news, and there is more we can do here. We have made progress, and we will continue to work on, on this to improve further. I know it's lengthy, but it's, there's a point at the end. This is an area where I believe we must, be, we must proceed very carefully, though. Identifying the truth is complicated. While some hoaxes can be completely debunked, a greater amount of content, including mainstream sources, often get, gets the basic idea right, but some details wrong or omitted. An even greater volume of stories express an opinion that many will disagree with and flag as incorrect, even when factual. I'm confident we can find ways for our community to tell us what content is most meaningful, but I believe we must be extremely cautious about becoming arbiters of truth ourselves. Skips down a little bit. This has been a historic election, and it has been very painful for many people. Still, I think it is important to try to understand the perspective of people on the other side. In my experience, people are good, and even if you may not feel that way today, believing in people leads to better results over the long term. So that was his statement. First comment comes from a guy named Bob. So Bob gets the first comment on Mark's post, and he says this, if you really believe your statement of all the content on Facebook, more than 99% of what people see is authentic, then you haven't been reading the same news feed I have. There's a lot more fake and incorrect junk on my newsfeed than 1%. And then Mark replies. So Mark, the founder of Facebook, replies to this guy. And he says this. The stat that I mentioned is across the whole system. Depending on which pages you personally follow and who your friends are, you may see more or less. Here's the power right here. The power of Facebook is that you control what you see by who you choose to connect with. 
Let me say it again. You control what you see by who you choose to connect with. That is extremely powerful. He was talking about Facebook, but it's extremely applicable to our life and our spiritual life. And so many of us have chosen what we want to see by who we choose to connect with. And some of us need to make different choices. Maybe all we're doing is getting negativity. We need to control what we're seeing in a different way. But some of us, we're withholding relationships from one another and have division and disunity because we just want to see our world. We just want to see it our way. We just want to see who we want. We want to see world the way that we want to see the world. So my daughter, she just turned 17 and she, we bought, she bought a car. She saved up her money. She bought a car as a 2001 or 2002 Saturn. And I'm thinking that's a really old car. It's an older car. It had great mileage and stuff on it though. And then all of a sudden, just since then, over the last week, I've seen tons of them everywhere. How many of you guys have done that before? Whenever you're looking for a car, all of a sudden that car is everywhere. But how could a 2001 or 2002 Saturn be everywhere? It just didn't seem like the problem. But it's true. Whenever I chose, I put myself in a certain world frame of mind, I began to see that way. And what was happening in Corinth is they were choosing. So they gathered with the rich people. And so they had no more heart for the poor. Some of us, we're we're gathering in our little groups and we have no heart for people outside of our groups. American church can get that way. We can gather as our church in America and we have no heart for someone outside of our church. It's powerful. Who do you need to connect with to open your eyes more? Who do you need to connect with to open your eyes more to see the love that God has for other people? Let me wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And he finishes it up. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Another translation of that is share with one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Like, go grab a sandwich before you come, okay? That's going to be better. Lead him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give you directions when I come. Now, we could talk a lot about what this means. There's a lot of different views on this. I, I heard uh, Chris Vallotton, he talked about it this way. I like the way he put it. He said, the most important gift, spiritual gift, he believes is, is maybe not, you know, the gift of miracles or the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy or all these things. And he's just, he's just making a case for this. It may be the gift of discerning of spirits that we see found in 1 Corinthians 12. Discerning of spirits. And the reason he talked about that, discerning of spirits, he said the, the, the difference we've got to understand, it's not discerning or distinguishing of evil spirits. That's what a lot of times we, we think of it as it's evil spirits. Well, it could be, but he said it just says distinguishing of spirits. And, it's, and it goes on here, it says some are weak, some have died, some are ill. And he makes the case that it's because we've misjudged the body. 
Not, not talking about like I'm judging you because you're part of this body and like I don't like the way you're living and I'm judging. Not that kind of judging, but, but because we've misjudged or we've misinterpreted what the body is all about. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.16 says that we no longer see each other according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that we've misjudged how we are discerning the spirit in one another. And he makes the case that you may be sick and in need or ill or have problems emotionally or depression or whatever in your life. And you're going to stay that way because you're improperly discerning the body of Christ. And what he makes the case for is this, that you've been praying for the answer. You've been praying for the answer and you don't realize that the answer may be sitting right in the seat next to you. That God has put his Holy Spirit, that Jesus is in the seat, is in the person in the seat next to you who may have the answer to your problem. You said, no, they have become the problem. No, that Jesus is in them. And since we improperly discern the body, then we have the ultimate judgment of staying weak, ill, depressed, sick, lonely, whatever it is. Instead of inviting Jesus through that person or through the body of Christ. Many of us might be missing the very thing that we need because we're misinterpreting what the body of Christ is all about. There may be, let me put it in a different way. There may be somebody sitting in the seat next to you who's going to stay weak, sick, ill, ill, depressed, lonely, because you've misjudged your role in the body and that you're supposed to be the answer for somebody sitting next to you. You see, we are here to be one, one bread, one cup, one body. That's the unity. And if, say, if God's plan is unity, then Satan's plan is disunity. I went, I'm going to wrap up with this story. I'm going long today, but that's all right, because uh, I'm already in this now. A, a year or two, a couple years ago, somebody gave, uh, some of my kids and I, they gave us some... Uh, they gave us some tickets to a concert, to a Toby Mac concert. How many of you guys know who Toby Mac is? Okay. So they gave us tickets. Now, these tickets were completely free. And the cool thing about these tickets is it was at Sprint Center, so there's like 20,000 people there. And these tickets gave us VIP access to go to a, a meet and greet with Toby Mac. So here, here I am right here. Actually, we're really good friends. We've been friends for about, I don't know, there's 30 seconds in there. We were good friends but I went to this, and so we're, there we are. I mean, there's huge crowds. I just remember we were trying to find the way to go in, and there's huge crowds waiting outside. And all of a sudden, I have a ticket, and I get to go right past all those crowds. I went right into the auditorium, to the main whole huge deal, and they whisked us into this little hallway in these special rooms and, and treated us in a certain way. We got to go past all the security, and it was just it was a lot of fun to go. And, and all of a sudden, we got back there, and, and then now we're best friends. We're BFFs. So um, the point of that to me is it's not what you know, it's who you know. I didn't get all that access into there because of what I knew. It was who I knew that gave me free access. Is anybody seeing how we can relate this into what Jesus has done for us? It's not what we know, but it's who we know. And he gave us access that we otherwise would not have had. And I want us, as we get ready to come to the table, for us to celebrate the access that we have to God, that we could not earn on our own, 
that when we come to the table this morning, I want you guys, maybe God's working on your heart. Lean into unity. If you found yourself pushing, lean into unity. Let God work on your heart as we come to the table and see this, even though we have four tables, see this as one body this morning. One body. We are in this together. We belong to one another because we belong to Jesus. We're in this together. And there may need to be some heart changes in us to see this happen. And we need to to repent right now. See, some of us, I I didn't plan this, it's not in the notes, but some of us, we, we get into sin or we get into a pattern and we're very remorseful for sin. But just being remorseful for sin, if we never repent and change, all we end up with is regret. And some of us are just, we're remorseful, we're sorry, but we never end up into repentance. We need to have a quick change in our heart. So why is my head shaved? <laughs> some of you guys were probably wondering. It's the weirdest thing. I'm, I'm Friday afternoon. I'm, uh, I'm just, just sitting there and all of a sudden God says to me, it's gonna sound strange for some of you. God says to me, Sean, I'm doing a new thing in you. Shave your head. And I'm like, what? And I knew the voice of God enough in my spirit to know it came out of, I was like, that is the weirdest thing. But I've, I've heard God's voice a lot of times. I knew God was saying that. I don't know why God is saying that, but I knew God was saying that. And it was almost like the external was going to be a representation of the internal. And so I went and I was like, okay, you know, and so I keep my hair short, pretty, pretty short anyway, but I took it to like a one guard and I went all the way down to a one guard where it was just, it was still there barely in certain parts. It was still there. And I went out for a run and I'm running and God says, no, I said, shave it. Okay. So I came back and I shaved my head and I, I don't know why or what God is doing, but I felt like God said, I'm training you to have a quick response to obedience without asking questions. I need to train in you a quick obedience. I believe that sometimes God will speak to us like tapping on the mic. Is this thing still on? I just want to know. And I felt like that's what he was doing with me. He's like, is this thing still on? I just want to know. And and I don't know what God's doing for you this morning, but maybe he's tapping the mic this morning. And he said, is this thing on? I just want to know. As we come to the table, let's lay down whatever our issues are before, ultimately before the cross, remembering as we look back and then ultimately as we look forward to when God sets everything right and all the pain will be passing away and all the feelings and the emotions and the hurt and the the illness and the sickness will all be gone. We can look forward to that in faith. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are what this is all about. And Lord, we come together from all different backgrounds, all different starting points, all different pain levels, all different emotions, all different ages, all different colors. Lord, we come together ultimately as one identifier, and that is that we belong to Jesus. We belong in the kingdom of God, and we are your kids. And this morning, we come together and we share of the table, we share of this cup that represents the blood that you spilled for us on the cross, that precious blood that washes away all of our sins once and for all. We come to celebrate the the bread, the body that was broken for us. It's for our healing, it's for our restoration, it's life. And Lord, as we do, we celebrate you, we celebrate your victory. We remember what the table is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna come get the elements.
receive them at your seat there during the song at some point. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.